Guys, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of our Cityos ESL podcast. I am not as loud as I've been in the past because, of course, what we have going on is I'm in upcountry, right? So I'm losing a tremendous amount of sleep up here, but that's not the point. The point is, is that this wall is very, very hollow, okay? Hollow meaning, damn, I could literally kick it and I could go into the other room. All right, I'm not in my beautiful condo out there in Bangkok, so I do apologize, but you know what, tomorrow I'll be going back. So in saying that, guys, what we're going to be talking about, we're getting into the next segment, all right? Today is discussion points, okay? So what I need to do, as a matter of fact, if this thing even wants to work, is what we're going to be speaking about is flow. So why are oceans important, okay? Why are oceans important? I remember being at Singapore, what is it? At the uh, Singapore, what is it? The aquarium. And it showed me just how many people actually eat seafood, one billion. Not that many Americans eat seafood, unless you're like in, you know, I, I guess you're, if you're in the coastal cities, but out there in Las Vegas, more inland, they don't know what seafood is. <laughs> okay, maybe you guys do, but you're not much fish eaters. You actually eat generic fish, such as Long John Silvers, which is like a completely fermented way of making fish. But nonetheless, food, fish is the main source of protein for 1 billion people in developing countries. I'm talking about the Mozambique, the India, the Bangladesh, the Thailand, the uh, Indonesia. You know, they like to say developing countries, you know, all that stuff. I don't really believe in it, but let's just say it's 1 billion people for, I'm, I'm sorry, it's a source of protein for 1 billion people around the world. How about jobs of all the people globally earning their living from fishing? 90% live in developing countries, as they put it. 350 million jobs worldwide are linked to oceans. How about the economy? 76% of the U.S. trade involves marine transportation. Ecotourism connected to reefs makes about 9 billion annually. International trade in fish and fish products globally is 102 billion per year. Unbelievable. Now, how about the climate? Five times more carbon is stored by habitats close to the ocean than by tropical forests. Now we knew, of course, last year about what was happening out there in the Amazon. Of course, all of that is probably going to just go away this year because of the pandemic that is raging through Brazil. So for all my Brazilians out there, you guys make sure you take care out there as well as America. Here in Thailand, we're good, we're good. We only got a couple of cases left and they're all in the hospital. But um, yeah, again, Amazon houses, I forgot how much, between 10 and 20% of the world's oxygen. So when you saw the rampant fire burning and then we started seeing the blame game, anytime someone blames someone else, they are literally blaming themselves, right? So when the Amazon was burning, I got very angry because I'm like, guys, like for reals, and if you actually go for reals, meaning are you serious? Now for reals, this is how we use it in slang. Like for real, that's what she said? Meaning really, that's what she said? Well, that's what was happening in terms of my reaction with the burning forest out there in Brazil. But now all of that has gone away. But again, now there are droughts happening. I don't understand how there's a drought when we have, you know, sea levels arising. Oh, but that's this type of water. Well, why haven't we built infiltration systems in the last 100 years instead of build, building war machines 
to actually make the water in the ocean more purified. Whatever happened to that? Like, there should be no forest fires because we should have infiltration systems just about everywhere. Again, I'm not, this is, that's another topic for another day. So I want you guys to ask yourself, which of these categories are important in your region of the world? So again, Thailand and Prachuat Kirikan, which is Wahin, which is uh, about uh, two and a half hours by car southwest of Bangkok. Beautiful place. I freaking love that place. Um, great people down there, too. They, um, they're going through, the, 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 I guess they're having a drought. And I'm like, how do you have a drought and you have water in the ocean? I just don't believe that. Like, how come you don't get the water from the ocean into your dams? Oh, but the salt, the salt, well, why don't you have it? I'm done. I'm done with excuses, guys. All right. If you have a drought and you're near the sea, something's wrong. If you have a flood and you're near the sea, unless it's a hurricane or some kind of crazy storm, something is wrong. You can't flood near the beach. But welcome to Thailand. So anyways, droughts are happening here in Thailand. And again, over the last 100 years, have they ever thought about building infiltration systems to get water inland? I guess not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Anyways, what negative effects might some of the points have on the world's oceans? Well, if you look at the jobs and look at marine, I think with, you know, 350 million jobs worldwide are linked to the oceans. But I think that if you look at all those jobs, I would say about 300 million of them are contributing to the masses of plastic that are being dumped into the ocean. Am I lying or am I lying? Okay, that means am I right or am I right? Okay, now everyone must look in the mirror. I'm not just gonna blame America, although the entire West Coast United States, and I know that they make the ocean their dumping ground, but if we go to the east coast of all China and to the southern tips of India, oh my goodness gracious, oh my goodness gracious. If we look at Thailand and the main river that comes from the north, the Mekong River down into the Cha Phraya and see and smell that bullshit. Boy, if y'all went to the canal that's just on the other side of my building, which I have mentioned many of times on my podcast, it smells like dog shit. Okay, there's trash in there. And you know why? It's because of people and people not giving a damn. We're just not protecting our society. So then when COVID and everything had happened, <laughs> let's just look at it as a wake-up call. Look at it as a wake-up call. Flamingos are flourishing. There are pink dugongs being spotted in the seas just off, you know, uh, Wahin and the Andaman. And on the other side, uh, which is the, I'm sorry, the east, which is Gulf of Thailand. The Andaman is on the left side, um, which is connected to Phuket. But we're, we're, we're kind of, the, the habitats, they're coming back together because we're giving a damn. Now, how should we prioritize the uses of ocean? Well, what we were doing in 1937 should not be happening in 2020. We're polluting the hell out of seas with all that, all those garbage ships that blow off all that smoke. I'm just, this coal burning here, let's get the engines pumping with coal burning. I'm sorry, you know you're polluting the sea with that garbage. So to be honest with you, these cruise ships, I'm kind of happy that they're docked. I'm kind of happy that they're not going to be going anywhere for the next, ooh, maybe year or so. I'm kind of happy that they've taken a massive hit. Um, not for the jobs, the job sake of everyone else, because I understand that financially speaking, but you guys were dumping, dumping masses upon masses of pollution in there, right? The ozone layer was being crowded with all those planes in the sky. 
So now we just had to take a nice, this was a beautiful way to take a one year reset. One year reset, reaffirm everything, get some laws in place, get people thinking, get these knowledge thinkers to think and get these industrial age mindsets out of here. So what are the most important future considerations for the ocean? We'll stop bleaching it. Uh, yeah, Australia's great ocean reef. Guys, you know how much food and how much oxygen and how much everything you create in the ocean? Whoever's bleaching, this is the problem. These fisheries and these fishermen, they're completely damaging the sea. I understand that, you know, you put your fishing nets out there and, you know, you do what they used to do back in the age of empires and whatnot, but you don't need all that fish. And what happens when you don't sell every last individual fish? You're just going to throw it away. I just, I just think that hoarding mentality has to go too. There are lots, there are lots of things that need to be addressed. And so you guys already know how I feel about this. And you guys know how I blow up about this. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be listening to, I'm thinking, uh, there are power, what kinds of energy? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can actually listen to this and see how it goes. So here we go. What I'm going to do, I'm going to screen share, although you guys aren't going to see this screen share, but uh, um, I'm going to share the audio from my side. I'm going to be watching the video. You're going to be listening, and we're going to be going at it. So here we go. Of course, if it wants to play, this never really happens, to be honest with you, but let's see. Here we go. Greenpeace's Rainbow Warrior ship sailed into Beirut on Wednesday on the first leg of a Mediterranean tour to raise awareness about renewable and solar energy. Greenpeace's third ship is environmentally friendly and is primarily powered by wind. While in the port, the public was invited on board to explore the ship and talk with its crew. We are on board Greenpeace's ship, the Rainbow Warrior, sailing today on Junia's coast using sails and not using a generator. This is the beginning of Greenpeace's campaign in the Mediterranean to raise awareness and encourage the use of renewable energy in the Arab world. We are starting a tour from Beirut in the Mediterranean region, ending in Morocco in October ahead of the regional meeting following last year's Paris Agreement working on combating climate change. Another Greenpeace campaign, The Sun is for Free, promotes the use of solar power and its environmental and economic benefits. We launched two months ago a campaign called The Sun is for Free as an awareness campaign on solar energy. The idea is that we are living in a country where we don't have 24-hour electricity and where the air is getting polluted more and more. What we are trying to tell the Lebanese is that it is not only an environmental matter, but also a matter of public health and an issue of basic need. Come on to the solar energy, is the message we are telling the Lebanese people. The cost of solar power panels has dropped by 80 percent since 2010, making it a much more affordable solution, especially for the people of Lebanon, who rely on private generators during regular power cuts. I love the campaign. 
the sun is free, power cuts. I was talking, I was speaking to one of my uh, students from Afghanistan. He's actually very, very good at speaking English. Big shout out to him, by the way. I think his name's Abra, something like that. But nonetheless, I know you guys are like, damn, you don't even know your student's name? Well, I'm just I'm trying, I'm trying to name it right off the top of my head. But they normally have power cuts. Lebanon, obviously, after you listening to that recording, it just seems like Lebanon is one of those places that they have rampant you know, they, they have difficulties with, you know, keeping their power on all the time. This happens out there in Swaziland too, when I used to speak to a, a teacher from there. So there are a number of things that could be addressed little by little, but it just takes, look, listen, solar panels have dropped 80% since 2010. Remember when solar panels, you were like, oh hell no, I could never get my hands on one of those. I forgot what I was looking at. There was like a, a solar panel generator or something that you can keep at home that could power your house, again, the prices of these in the next decade or two, they're gonna fall significantly, right? And I see a lot of these solar plants and these solar panels um, everywhere in Thailand. You know, if I look at, you know, some of the top uh, producers in terms of malls out in the middle of Bangkok, man, they have a lot of solar panels on the top of their roofs. And I'm like, see, that's it right there because one, it reduces the cost that they're actually taking in from all the air that's pumping out throughout the shopping center. And two, it's just, you're using the sun. So again, we could talk more about, you know, the crazy companies and the companies that are very, very bad humanity minus. So what I'm going to do, not in this podcast, I'm going to make a separate podcast. Okay. And this is going to be uh, uh, critical discussions. Okay. I'll name it that. And it's going to be about Exxon Mobile. All right, so we're going to hear about one of the worst companies in the world. You're going to hear about one of the worst companies in the world. And for all my Thai students, I have a lot of Thai people who are now following me. You might work for ExxonMobil. This isn't against you. This is against the American mentality in terms of infiltrating either poor African nations or Black communities within America to put these disgusting big private pipelines and constantly and consistently having rampant oil spills and pumping sulfur into the atmosphere, which of course can cause long-term effects, which is cancer. Now, that is a teaser for the next episode. So you stay tuned for that. And as always, I'm your crazy host, Arsenio. Stay tuned for more over and out.